Chapter 13. Ebony Grace, you can't just run around Harlem like you know the Harlem like you know the place. You're a spring chicken, baby girl. Only twelve. You don't know these streets like the other kids yet. These kids, what your mama calls little street urchins, have seen more hard life than any grown folks down in Alabama. I bet if a dope fiend asked for five dollars, you'd give it to him. If that same dope fiend asked you to use our bathroom, you'd let him in. You don't know about that kind of life, baby girl. But you don't need to be up in them clouds either. There's a difference between knowing and living. What's a dope fiend, Daddy, I ask, when King Sirius Julius finally stops his lecture to take a breath. Ugh, just proves my point, Broomstick, he continues. Don't give Lester five dollars if he ever asks for it, and never ever let him into the house. I shrug because I don't have any problem with Lester, other than the fact that he smells funny. I'm sitting on the creaky hardwood floors of my bedroom, with my arms crossed and my legs stretched out in front of me. A stack of ten comic books sits next to my bare feet. I've already read them twice, even while a low-level sonic boom invades King Sirius Julius's lair and music pumps throughout every corner of the brownstone. Um, I can't really tell if King Sirius Julius is raising his voice so that I can hear him over the music, or if he's really mad at me. His words dip and dive around the rhythm, bass, and singing like a spaceship dodging meteors. At least this is the music Granddaddy likes too, and not the other sounds made up of hard beats and computer noise that gets down into your bones and makes you lose your god-loving mind. Still, I knew King Sirius Julius was just trying to control my mind when he put Al Green's love and happiness on the record player. He was trying to make me love Harlem to make me happy, even as he stands yelling over me for running away from the Holy Redeemer Church and Senora Luz and Bianca. King Sirius Julius takes in a long breath, places both hands on his hips, and says, Folks are already talking, saying that I should have left you with your mama, that I ain't got no business raising a girl out here with the shop and all, but I wasn't going to stand by and watch all that stuff going on with Jerry and how it must be affecting you. I'm your father, and it's my job to protect you, but I'm not going to fight you to do so, baby girl. What's this stuff going on with Jerry? I ask without hesitating. <sighs> he sighs again, deeper this time, and King Sirius Julius melts off Daddy. His shoulders relax and his arms hang by his sides as if I'd defeated him with that single question. Come on, he says, motioning for me to get up from the floor and follow him down the stairs. He still doesn't turn down Al Green and his mind-melting rhythms as he dials one, two, five, six. The number seems longer than before, and I don't hear Daddy announce his whole name to the operator, Julius Freeman, to place the collect call. In just a few seconds, he starts with Gloria, not hello, not good afternoon, or with any long string of names asking if so-and-so is well, and if a prayer for this and that has been answered by the Lord. This is how all conversations start on Sundays down home in Huntsville. But here in Harlem, Daddy gets straight to the point. You've got to let her talk to her grandfather, he says. My heart skips a beat, and I hold my breath. If there could ever be a time to smile in No Joke City, it's right now, even though this isn't the joke, isn't a joke by far. I step closer to Daddy, ready to take the phone, and finally hear my granddaddy's voice after a whole month. Granddaddy had not come to my elementary school graduation. Ever since last Christmas, 
he and I had been preparing for that very day, which would be when I'd announced to the world my secret identity as Space Cadet E. Grace Starfleet. Granddaddy has had said it was time to open the giant doors of my imagination location to the world. I didn't have to pretend to like church dresses or ballet class or etiquette lessons anymore. I wouldn't have to whisper anymore. I could be myself, inside and out. He had a closet full of his blue NASA suits. Granddaddy called them flight suits, and Mama called them coveralls, but I call them space suits. They're the same ones that Sally Ride wore when she boarded the space shuttle orbital flight STS-7 Challenger in June last year. The very first American lady on the crew of a spacecraft. When me and Granddaddy watched the launch on TV, he repeated, his very own, he repeated in his very own way what all the reporters had been asking her. How is she going to get to her woman parts? Julian Bluford wore the same spacesuit when he boarded the space shuttle orbital flight STS-8 Challenger last August. The very same space flight to take place at night and the very first black man on a space mission. Granddaddy had joked, ha, of course they need a black man to guide them through the dark. I opened up the door to Granddaddy's closet with the back in the back of his office. I counted five blue spacesuits, each with a patch of the American flag on the left arm. I grabbed one, and I tried to sniff out the smell of jet fuel, zero-gravity nothingness, or maybe even outer space, but it just smelled like Granddaddy and his cigarette smoke. Granddaddy is not an astronaut. He's an engineer, and he doesn't think he'll ever make it to outer space. That's your dream, baby girl, not mine, he said to me once. Not anymore, that is. He's one of the nuts and bolts guys. There'd be no more space shuttles without him and his work buddies Uncle Morgan, Uncle Charles, and Uncle James. There'd be no race to the race part of the space race. There'd be no Columbia or Challenger. And not even the aeronautics part of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration because there'd be no one to screw in the nuts and bolts. I pulled out one of the suits and I ran my finger along the circular NASA logo. I traced each of the letters as I whispered the whole words that make up the acronym National Aeronautics Space administration. Above the logo is a big black rectangle with daddy's name on it in white letters, Jeremiah. On the right side of the suit is the NASA 25th anniversary commemorative logo, logo where the red letters against the white patch look like they've been drawn by aliens, and the number 25 in red and blue separated by a small white star. Below the logo are the years 1958 to 1983. Aliens are older than NASA, the whole universe is older than NASA. Mama, Daddy, and Granddaddy are all older than NASA, too. Even the Uhura, Planet Boombox, the Sonic King, and the Sonic Boom are older than NASA. Then I trace the triangular gold trimming on the space shuttle patch right below that logo. So many patches. And if Granddaddy was planning on letting me wear one of his spacesuits to my sixth grade graduation, then everyone would know that I was already an astronaut that I'd been to outer space, out of the galaxy, beyond Andromeda, and back. No one would call me weird, crazy, or that I ain't got no home training. One of the spacesuits didn't have Granddaddy's name patch on it, so I quickly pulled it off the hanger, and I put it on over my skirt and blouse. The skirt bunched up around my waist when I tried to zip up the spacesuit. It was loose, but it was perfect. There was enough room for me to fight off the evil funkazoids if I had to. 
I stepped away from the closet, aimed my right fist, and pretended to shoot my phaser gun at the walls, the ceiling, and the door. Pew, pew. Ebony Grace Norfleet Freeman. You take off that right now, Mama shouted. Her face was wound up into a knot. I couldn't take Granddaddy's spacesuit off fast enough for her, so she rushed over and just about yanked it off me. She smoothed down my skirt and my hair and looked at me with her scrunched-up face and said, Don't you go meddling in your grandfather's things. Yes, Mama, I said. A stone was forming in my throat. I swallowed it back down so Mama wouldn't see me cry about wearing one of my grandfather's flight suits. I got a closet full of pretty dresses, and for the life of me, I can't understand why you don't go meddling in there, she would said. I hung my head real low because Mama's closet is the last place on earth I'd want to be. On the days leading up to my sixth grade graduation and dance, I had to listen to all the girls in my class talk about how they were going to coordinate their dresses. The only colors allowed were pink, yellow, sky blue, and lavender, and most of the girls were wearing their Easter dresses. So the day before my graduation, Mama thought she was doing me a big old favor by surprising me with a whole new dress since we weren't like the other families. We could afford a new dress, she'd said. Ebony Grace, baby. Mama said with a big smile, holding up a brown paper shopping bag. I managed to find something in the heart of Huntsville Mall, but I can't wait for the new Madison Square Mall to open up this summer. That new space camp is opening up this summer too, Mama, I said without thinking. Her smile disappeared for a quick second, and she shot me a look that might as well have been a phaser blast. Her smile returned when she pulled out a frilly lavender dress that looked like a birthday cake. The words, no, Mama, spilled out of my mouth as easy as breath. What do you mean, no, little girl? It's your special day, and you're becoming a young woman now. Junior high school is right around the corner, and before you know it, it'll be time for high school. All the girls in your class are going to look so pretty. Why should you be any different? Ugh, there was no arguing with Mama about this. But still, I kept... Hope alive, thinking that Granddaddy would roll up on one of those spacesuits, roll up one of those spacesuits into a bag and take it with him to my graduation. And since Mama would be sitting in the audience as all the sixth graders lined up backstage to walk down the aisle to Billy Foster's very bad alto sax rendition of Pomp and Circumstance, I'd have enough time to change out of that ugly lavender birthday cake dress and slip into the E-Grace Starfleet spacesuit. That morning, I had done everything I was supposed to. I had sat still while Mama pressed and curled my hair near the kitchen stove as Granddaddy read his newspaper and ate his oatmeal. The phone was ringing off the hook with Mama's friends asking if she had an extra hot comb or a pair of stockings or some sponge rollers for their daughter's big day. Mama was friends with the, girl, the mothers of the girls in my class, but I wasn't friends with those girls. I was polite and I was obedient to Mama as she laid out the lavender birthday cake dress. Because Granddaddy... Oh, wait. Sorry, I was polite and obedient to Mama as she laid out the lavender birthday cake dress, white stockings, and white patent leather shoes on my bed because Granddaddy, with his short gray afro and clean-shaven face, had smiled and winked at me as he made his way into his office after breakfast. The smile and wink was a secret, was a promise. I was sure. I had been announcing to my not-friends that I'd be revealing a very special surprise during graduation. I practically begged that everyone keep their eyes on me. But the ceremony came and went, and there was no bag with a spacesuit, no NASA patches, 
no announcing to the world that I am Cadet E. Grace Starfleet. I didn't even get to show off my granddaddy, Jeremiah Norfleet, NASA Marshall Space Flight Center employee, who was supposed to be the first black man on the moon. So I did what I always do during church or any one of Mama's fancy formal affairs. I folded up my imagination location into a tiny square, and I tucked it into one of my thick braids, or into my small pocketbook, or inside the fold of one of my frilly socks. Even at the dance after the ceremony, as Michael Jackson's Billie Jean and Beat It played, and the boys tried to moonwalk across the gymnasium, the girls pretended to be Donna Summer while working hard for the money, and the parents chit-chatted. I sat in a corner, quiet and still, waiting for the whole thing to be over. The music was the stuff I'd hear on the radio, and Mama, what Mama, with giant rollers in her hair, would dance to in the kitchen when she was tired of listening to Mahalia Jackson or Sir Shirley Caesar, sing from the bottom of their bellies about heaven and Jesus. Once I'd seen her shimmy in her shoulders and whispering, what a feeling. The only time I got up was to get some snacks way on the other side of the gym. A big round bowl of fruit punch sat in the middle of the snack table. I filled up a plastic cup and covered my paper plate with cheese doodles, Ritz crackers, vanilla wafers, and a thick slice of somebody's grandma's lane cake. I went back to the line of empty folding chairs in the back of the gym, and I sat on the one closest to the corner. I placed my punch on the floor, and my plate of snacks on my lap, not caring that I did crumbs all over the stupid lavender dress. Then one of Granddaddy's favorite songs came on, Lionel Richie singing, All night long, all night. Even the teachers snapped their fingers. I started to tap my toes, too, but I placed my hands over my knee, and I forced my body to, to, to disobey that rhythm. Instead of dancing, I took a big bite out of the slice of lane cake, and I chewed slowly, staring down at my plate and not at those spinning planets in the big, wide, lonely galaxy called school. After graduation and the dance, Granddaddy was waiting for us back home. As he sat in his rocking chair on the porch, sipping sweet tea, it looked as if he had dark, thick, gray concrete clouds hanging over his head. He wore one of his many dark gray church suits, which made his light gray hair look white. Beads of sweat dotted his forehead, and his dark brown skin seemed to shine in the late afternoon sun. He didn't even hug me and say congratulations. He didn't even tell me any stories about the Uhura, no planet boombox threatening to take over the galaxy, and no evil funkazoids in their sonic king. His imagination location was completely blank, just like that stray rock we discovered just beyond Jupiter and thought was a regular new planet. He was just acting like a regular old grandpa. But I had been hearing whispers and gossip with my bionic ears for weeks. His soul is lost, Mama's church lady friends had mumbled at Wednesday's Bible study. Ain't no turning back from that kind of sin, Miss Headley had whispered to Mrs. Turner at last Friday's fish fry. Surely all these whispers and mumbles and Granddaddy's sadness were signs of a much bigger problem that no one else could understand. Not those chirping church ladies, not my nosy neighbors, not my mysterious mama and her meddling questions about whether I'd seen granddaddy's lady friends while Nana was alive. No matter how loud I shouted above the hush-hush rumors and gossip, no one heard me or believed me when I told them the truth. Captain Fleet was being held as prisoner on planet Boombox by the Sonic King and the Funkazoids. No one understood anything because they had all locked the doors to their imagination location and thrown away the key. 
Don't worry, baby girl. We'll hold off on the adventures of the Hura for a few days. I'll activate the impenetrable force field so that she's protected out there in deep space, Granddaddy said to me as Mama brought out his suitcases for his long trip. He spoke in an unusually soft and quiet voice. He'd patted me on the shoulder and had not scooped me up into his long, wiry arms like he usually did at the end of an Uhuru story. But, Granddaddy, I was supposed to reveal my secret identity today. Hmm. He placed his index finger over his lips and said, Shh, you'll need to stay undercover for a little bit, Starfleet. He didn't make his voice sound commanding like all the other times he spoke as Captain Fleet. Granddaddy had been wearing the church suit and tie as if he'd planned to attend my graduation. But instead, a shiny black car pulled up in front of our house. A man came out of the driver's side, walked around to the passenger side, and held the door open for my grandfather. What mission are you off to now, Granddaddy? You gonna be just fine, Ebony Grace. I'll try to be back before you leave for New York, was the very last thing he'd said to me as he placed his empty glass on a small nearby table stood up from the rocking chair, picked up his suitcases, and headed for the shiny black car. The sadness around him seemed to have swallowed him up like a black hole.